0: office culture is not only this kind of like top-down hierarchical thing, it's also built up by the people that you bring on. And so at the very beginning, it's kind of also the values that you set. So even kind of stepping back, like this conversation on office culture, it's downstream of more of things that have been set in place basically at the very beginning. So it's what values you have as a company, what do you really care about? and how are you finding the right people that align or potentially can reflect some of those values. And the values are typically very broad in general, they're not super prescriptive, but like having curiosity, being very curious people, wanting to do the hard thing, all these things kind of lead to what would be an aggregate office culture. Welcome to our Roundtable Chats, a fast paced discussion series dedicated to opening up the conversation in the architecture and engineering industry. We want you to join in the conversation each week where we share what inspires us, what we want to improve in the industry and how we can help each other get there. This is a new event and we'll be joined weekly by members of the Monograph Growth Team here. Everyone on the round table today studied and practiced in the industry. So we're very aware of the pain points and stressors that come with working in the industry. Today, we're gonna be discussing why office culture matters so the elephant in the room is that the architecture industry doesn't have the best track record reputation when it comes to workplace satisfaction and so i love to kind of ask uh, you chris and sylvia like what have been your own experiences with this maybe you can kind of share some anecdotes about things that ended up being or contributing to a better work work office culture Uh, we can start off with you sylvia thanks
1: george i really think that when it comes down to the end of the day, you're working a lot of hours in the office and what you work on, I think you do want to feel some connection to that. And maybe that's not always something you can manage as a company, like what projects you get necessarily. Some people do, but other companies don't run that way. So I think you want to be connected to your work. You want to feel that the hours you're putting in are worth your time and your efforts. And then also that what you your thoughts and opinions are heard. And I think if those aren't a foundation of what is being established in the way that you work with your teams and managers, then everything else is going to suffer from that. And I think when you get into, like the hours are always going to be long and hard. So you have to have that connection to it.
2: One thing that's going through my mind right now as a manager is it's like there's voices in my head that I try to use as like a constant anxiety. It's like a healthy anxiety that I try to use to drive myself to work towards quality, to be better. And when I think about like one example in in marketing is that like my constant fear is that I don't know the customer's thoughts enough. So the way that I work towards that is I talk with more customers, I, I talk to the market, I schedule conversations with them. I, I take detailed notes about them. I try to run polls to better understand like, do I really, is my own sense of things representative of like how lots of people think and so i have this like healthy distrust that i'm right and so i go into the market to find out so on a manager side that anxiety that i have is that i don't know the problems enough i don't know what my team's problems are and so that anxiety drives me to go find out like by creating a much more comfortable space where i'm actively asking and, and trying to find better more ways to catalog and surface up problems and so you, earlier today through an exercise that i learned from george is i was able to surface up problems with the team that i maybe had a sense for but like then there's other things that i did not know it at all and both you know the team actually had kind of a consensus of how they saw a problem and so that's like such a critical thing and i remember being in environments where like i don't feel like i could raise a problem it seemed like the way that i was supposed to deal with a problem is to solve it myself like in the dark so that the problem didn't exist right and so like i would say like a huge thing is feeling comfortable to talk about problems and surface them candidly transparently that's like a real just like a critical thing to change what drives me around this is this anxiety like to be a great manager it's critical that that the problems are absolutely clear and constantly getting in front of your face as a team so that the whole team can work on them.
0: I think this is something you're also maybe indirectly talking about when you say manager is that there's a direct responsibility that you have with other people as let's say you're invested in their, in much more than just the output of their work. You're also invested with them in terms of their career and whatnot. And so that's why you also take this extra effort as well. And this is, we talked a little bit about this last week, but it came down to org structures and the potential for like, there to be a change in that because most people don't have direct reports necessarily. It's very, very ambiguous. You're tied to a project. You report to a project. You don't almost report to a manager. And so I think if we just set that aside, then I think ultimately it's still, it doesn't mean that you're sort of absolved from caring about other people in your work. And so office culture is not only this kind of like top-down hierarchical thing. It's also built up by the people that you bring on, and so at the very beginning, it's kind of also the values that you set. So even kind of stepping back, like this conversation office culture, it's downstream of more of things that have been set in place, basically at the very beginning. So it's what values you have as a company, what do you really care about, and how are you finding the right people that align or potentially can reflect some of those values. And the values are typically very broad in general; they're not super prescriptive, but like having curiosity, being very curious people wanting to do the hard thing, all these things kind of lead to what would be an aggregate office culture. And so I think what you're also describing too, is like this anxiety that you share is also maybe present with other people in the team too. Like they also have this desire to continuously improve and for other people for the sake of of our team. We do have some other questions here that I think are kind of interesting. We got in the Q&A. What office culture do you wish you could bring from startup, from the, kind of the world of startups or or technology? And, and really, I'd say like just to define that, it's not so much that startups are better. It's just like we talked about this also in the thing last week, engineering culture, like of software engineering specifically, is just more advanced, I think, in terms of how they think about things. But what, what are the things that we could we would want to bring from this world over to architecture and vice versa?
1: What I think I'm struck with most when I joined Monograph is that like how quickly like things can be solved. Or like I feel like when I was working on projects in my old firm, I would want to make sure everything was perfect, right? Like when you send out a CD set, like you don't want mistakes to like come back and haunt you down the road. You want like everything to be double checked or triple checked or like or catch as much as you can. But I feel like that's actually something that is not really how we work at Monograph. Like we don't want to spend so much time on it. We want to act more quickly. And I had to adjust a little, but it's like, it's not that my quality of work is any different. It's just that like, maybe I'm not, I'm acting more like on the fly, which I'm trying to embrace. And I think there's a nice quality to that because at the end of the day, like, even though our work is important, like we shouldn't be adding extra stress to it. And I think that like You can feel that when working with like the growth team or even the company, like when we have our meetings, like everyone doesn't take it too seriously where like you need to like be making people's lives like suffer as a result of that.
2: Another thing to add here, what comes to mind around startup is there's a whole idea about why is a startup not a small business? It's because the startup wants to become a big business. It wants to become, it wants to grow as fast as possible kind of within a certain set of parameters. But like, and I talked to an incredible percentage of architects I talk to are constantly talking about how they do not want to grow too much. But I would maybe posit this, how many people do not want to grow professionally, right? Like how many people want to sort of like, let's kind of stay wherever I'm at right now, professionally for the rest of the time. And I would say probably almost no one wants to do that. And if the environment that you have built as a firm is as a vehicle for professionals to grow, And you're actively talking about how you don't really want growth to happen. I can't imagine that you're creating really like a, a firm of longevity. It's more like a firm of, you know, turnover, like where only earlier, earlier professionals are like turning over, turning over in your organization, meaning that you can't really benefit from you know ongoing lessons that people are learning as they move more senior. Otherwise, the only way for them to kind of stay put there is I suppose like to kind of veer away from work. A little bit i don't know it's i'm surprised that i don't hear this point of view more often like i never hear people who who don't want to grow their career and aren't um it's just like i don't really hear that very much especially in architecture where there's a lot of energy to you know trying to make great things so I, I wish that i could see at the level that you see in the startup world this like let's really try to do something great let's try to do something very ambitious i wish i could see that more because you, you sometimes see that from architects but For some reason, you don't ever hear that about their business. There's a sense that like it would be wrong for us to appreciate things that way, but I feel like it needs to be reevaluated.
0: I will say uh, there's some interesting. You know, it's not to say that it's a panacea either. Like there are again, it it all comes from like what are the values that you want to set to begin with, and then what are the practices that you might adopt from the larger industry that help you enable that those values, because it, it was. Obviously, here we build software, right? So there's a, it's a very different from designing a building. Like a building might require from the onset a certain level of a quality because of like what you're outputting has a direct impact to the life, safety, and wellness of other people in a very, very direct way. While we do build mission critical, well, I'd say we build mission critical software for the companies that use monograph at the end of the day it's not necessarily the same process or you know developing software as it is to designing and getting a building built out into the world that said the things that are very transferable from how we do things here is that idea of like the values that you set from the beginning determine a lot of how you think through everything else and then then from there you can adopt a mindset that could be about continuous improvement that can be about like having r- different rules of thumb for how do you make decisions. Like maybe you have a kind of 80, 20% rule in, in how you make decisions about quality where you say, hey, you know what? Like for schematic design, we actually don't need 100% quality here because that's not the decision we need to make right now. And we, we see this actually, this kind of mindset about like using these types of frameworks in the interviews we've been we've been having with different architects, like DSR was a good example, Dillus Renfro, where they were talking about how they know basically when to put out fires. What's the right time to put out a fire? Like they'll let it burn and then they'll kind of push it off, push it off to the right moment where they know they need to address it. That's like a, a mental framework that is being educated to the rest of the team to help them improve how they operate. Now that's one element of culture, which is like, how do we do excellent work while we're here? The other part of it has to do more with like how do we create an environment that's safe where people feel like they can be heard where people can feel like they they can express their opinion right because i'd say like everyone that gets paid to work somewhere is hopefully getting paid to express what they think i mean if they're not then like that's a red flag it's a problem i think that that even even when we talk about culture it can seem like a monolithic thing and it, we should also be clear that there are different aspects to the culture itself it's like how do we do things How do we operationally do things? What's our mindset around that? What's our mindset towards team building? Like, how do we enable collaboration and communication across people? And then what's our attitude towards personal development? Right, Because at that, everyone is an individual and everyone has their own career trajectory. And then what you hope to do is like ultimately have different frameworks for addressing each of these different things in a way that matches to your values. And that's the kind of big lesson that I've taken away from like working at different types of startups too. I mean, we work for a lot of, you know, externally is seen as like the negative. Internally, culturally, I thought, I think there was a huge positive attitude environment where nothing seemed impossible, right? And nothing seems impossible. And so I think that, that all was kind of like came down to the people that you hired, what the energy they brought to the table. All of that, and then how how people were allowed to be their true self at work was kind of all part of like what contributed to that culture. Uh, and the values were also very clear. One of the values was being tenacious. I think the subtext for that was like break down walls literally if you have to, which was you know to the nature of like we're just going to go in there and get things done. Obviously, you can you can always go to like eleven and go in a different direction, but but I think that you know. When we talk about office culture, the meta-level of it, it's always going to be around what are the values that you're trying to instill so that when you bring people on board, they embody those values, and so you have at least some parameters on that front. We have uh, some other questions here. Uh, What are the immediate difficulties or blockages you see to make it happen? What do you suggest to remove the blockage to, oh, bringing office culture into the architecture and interior design industry? I think that the it's just like it comes down to leadership, you know, what what are the values that leaders are bringing to the table? How are they thinking about the mission and the values of the business? Like why are we here? Is the main question that everyone needs to kind of answer. And not only what are we trying to solve as a business, what are the challenges we're trying to solve, but also why are you all here? Why are you the right person to be here in this company right now? What are those qualities and everything? And that needs to be very explicit, I think, cuz that that thing gives also clarity to everybody to know, like, yeah, I'm at, the, I'm at the right place right now where I need to be in my career.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes, unfortunately, a company can say that they really value these things and they probably do, but then do your actions back that up? I think, like, you may say this, but it could also be like your branding in some ways that you want your projects to be this, but at the end of the day, they're not putting forth what you say or like how you support your employees. Like, during the pandemic, I think this happened a lot where. I think everything kind of got revealed in some ways that like maybe projects mattered more than taking care of your employees. I think companies handle it in different ways across the board. So, and I feel that like Monograph does this really well, where they do what they say and their practices back that up in so many ways, like the way we run our teams. I think when I first started working with George and as a manager, he said that like, if I have a problem, like if I'm not getting something done. It's not really a reflection of me as much as it was a reflection of him. And like that, cause he should be providing the tools for me to succeed or like, what don't I have that enables me to be successful in my role? And I thought that was made it a really good playing field for me to feel very comfortable to approach him with anything that I wanted to create or bring up or any issues I had in the future. And I really appreciated that.
0: Just to add to that for a minute, like, I think it's very important for people to, like, if you're in a position of leadership, it's on you. Like, I mean, okay, let's let's take the, uh, like, uh, you know, let's say you bring on someone to a team that's not, that doesn't work. It doesn't work out. Like, they're not, they just aren't contributing as much or whatever it is. Like, it's just a wrong fit. It's the person who hired that's at fault. It's that, that's the person who's to blame. It's not the other person who's joining the team at all. The person who hired should have, had the right criteria in place to you know not bring that person on, or at least enable that person to succeed, right? Because it can be either or. It can either be you know it could just be like that person just wasn't set up, and being set up for success is about the criteria that you use in order to bring them on. And so, you know, I think that that the reason why you know with Sylvia, like I, I say those things too, is like because it's ultimately feels my responsibility. Like I need to be the person that's unblocking you to allow you to perform at your your best self and yeah i think people don't are not introspective enough about where the real issue is and how they need to correct it because it's mostly a process issue it's often not a personal issue
2: let's bring some more questions in here we've got a lot of office culture i think has to do with strengthening soft skills and communication skills what would be a good way of practicing this outside of the office based on your experience
1: I learned this somewhere along the way that like nothing exists in this world without communication, right? Like our ideas in our head, we have to communicate those with other people to bring them into existence. Like anything we do in this world, we have to be able to successfully convey that to someone else in a step and make sure that we both are on this, we have the same understanding. So I think you can practice this in all of your interactions with people in your lives, at home, at work, even making plans with people, I feel like has changed over the years. I feel like when I want to communicate with someone and I need a result, I make sure that it's very clear, like what I'm asking and what I'm expecting back from them. But in terms of the, I don't think that's as much as a soft skill. Like hopefully you're doing it politely and kindly and like, Friendly, but I think also being compassionate about like I think this came up in a recent webinar. Uh, it was Lira's that like you have to have a relationship with somebody to make your work successful. You can't just like so when things get bad, you have that foundation that you can relate to each person as human beings, and you're not just like where are my drawings or like what's going on, like you know.
2: Yeah, around this um, some ways to practice this. I mean, I think you hear this a lot, like gratitude people use the word gratitude it's it's like one of those things where you hear it so much that you kind of wonder is this real and i actually have found in my own experience that it's critical to go through like i'm grateful for i think about it as i'm grateful to x for y and i kind of just go through that to pay attention you know through my recent memory or long term memory like noticing the details about what you appreciate about what someone has done i think As a manager i think that's like one of the most important things that's really easy to miss is like paying strong attention on the details that make the work that every individual what they contribute and celebrating that specifically is like i think so important because it helps people see be visible not only to show that you're they're visible to you but also to show everyone else we've talked about this in a previous conversation too like visibility of the organization to team members who, when they don't work with them, it's always great to have like a, a bond with your colleagues who you don't immediately work with around like a personal characteristic, like that's great to have, but I would say like, and I think a lot of the time, sometimes culture is thought this way that like culture is kind of about the non-work things that you do at work. But I think that people really are coming to work to be recognized as professionals that really do bring value in the space that they work in. And I think that recognizing colleagues who don't work with somehow getting a better sense for what their real contribution to the company is, is a part of culture, definitely. And uh, we had a great exercise this last week as a team where we had this like recap of the year and all the team leads had a different way of communicating and recognizing their team members which i thought was just so fantastic and my favorite one though i loved all of them my favorite one was our uh, our head of product did this like cast of superhero characters and helped us you know people we, we see every week like engineers on our team our largest team is engineering and they drive improvement in our product for customers and and we've been growing that team dramatically so that we can deliver faster and and more valuable changes and I've talked to a lot of these teammates of mine, but I didn't know what their contributions are directly and what they're really strong in, in their actual professional capacity on these teams. So that was such a great way for me to see what, so I would say like at a really base level appreciation, specifically recognizing what people are really great at, celebrating them, making it visible, not only to them, which is, I think a huge offering that you can offer anybody is just, just to tell other people what you see that they're really exceptional at and unique on but also so that other people who are kind of in orbit can also recognize that. And then it also, for yourself, when you hear that, you're like, oh, wow, this is the thing that people see, that people do value, and maybe I should keep going with that. It's a nice virtuous cycle on three different dimensions on how celebrating, being grateful for things, for people and talking about them can contribute to a much better culture in general.
0: It's kind of crazy how, and I'm curious if anybody would like to join on stage here but it is kind of crazy how sometimes you know some people are di- people are different how they receive feedback is different some people when you give them express gratitude they're not very you know you hear about people not very good at receiving a compliment because it's just it kind of like washes over them or they it's hard to embrace but at the same time like imagine put yourself and i'm sure everybody here has, has has had an experience where they're working really really hard on something and really just the slightest hint of gratitude for what they're working on, like does so much for them. It's huge. And it's just, if you think about like the amount of effort it takes to express gratitude and the potential impact that that has on the person receiving it, it's almost one of like the most highest leverage things you can do. Like one minute of expressing gratitude could lead to like a whole month of like a whole different perspective on how that person is engaged with the work that they're doing how they're engaged with other people, like because they feel like they're just being recognized, and I think like that gets lost a lot of time on super long projects with no real definite kind of like deliverable schedules, or especially in architecture where you're working on projects that last numerous years. So like giving people feedback has to be intentional at that point. You have it's you know in monograph we might be able to express gratitude at very specific moments because there's like a time period, right? So the deliverables are quicker in our world. But in architecture, you, I think you have to be even more concerted. Like if you use Slack or Microsoft Teams, have a gratitude channel where like everybody joins that channel and it's a channel for people to ad hoc express gratitude. Project managers should be demonstrating gratitude about the people that they're working with. And it you know it doesn't even matter what level of, of hierarchy here. It just, it's like when you have a culture where gratitude is a part of what you're doing, you will see substantive change in morale. You'll see engagement. You'll just see people like, wanting to show up. I know we're at time here, but I'll kind of leave with one little anecdote that was really fascinating. I mentioned this to Chris, I think a couple of weeks ago. There's a show on Netflix, I think it's called 100 Humans. Fascinating show. They have an experiment with a whole 100 very diverse, like equally distributed statistically, I don't know what the word would be, but like statistically relevant, let's say. And they had one specific experiment where they had people spinning plates, being taught by expert. And they had split it up into 50 people each side. And one cohort was being criticized about their performance, like really, like really, really critical. Oh, you should improve this. It's not great. No matter how good they actually were. So if they were really, really great at the first time doing it, they were, you know, you could be better. The other cohort was being told how awesome they were. Oh, you're doing amazing. And it was like, even the worst person there was, who's was like, oh, dropping the plates constantly they're being told, wow, you're doing great. It's an amazing job. At the end of three spins or like three tries where they had these people kind of practice outside, come back in, who do you think actually improved? It was those people that were like struggling beginning at the beginning who were being told, you're doing amazing, ended up being like phenomenal by their third spin. The people that were really doing amazing their first try, they just got it. They were dropping the plates all over the floor by their third spin because they got in their head. So as an anecdote, like, think about how you're doing that to your own culture at your own place. Like, how are you lifting up people so that they can, like, improve, not degrade them, right? So, anyway, we're at time. Thanks so much, everybody, for all your questions here. Really appreciate all of you for joining us on a Tuesday. I hope you all have a really great holiday season. And uh, we'll probably catch you, I think, in the new year, right? So, we're not doing, are we doing anything?
1: Uh, I have a plan for next Tuesday Okay, as well. so, yeah,
0: join us next Tuesday. Every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. Yeah. So join us, yeah. join us. And uh, yeah, love uh, to get your thoughts and feedback. Please send us notes along the way. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Sylvia Thanks Chris. for
1: joining. Thanks, George. Thank you.
0: Yes. Bye now. Bye. Happy holidays.
1: Happy holidays. Hey, it's Sylvia from Monograph. Thank you so much for joining us here. At Monograph, we're building the number one practice operations platform for small to mid-sized architecture firms. Monograph is designed for architects by architects. Over 450 practices are using Monograph today to run the business side of architecture. You can start a free trial or sign up for a demo today at monograph.com. Find out what a practice operations platform like Monograph can do for your firm. Get started at monograph.com. Talk to you soon.